Greetings to those who watch below. It's Friday, which means it's time for another stop on our paranormal road trip, and today we're heading down to Arizona. But before we start, I'd like to say thank you to Steffi Ray, Wicked Witch, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, M.A. Way, Julie B., Jess Blackhurt and Christina Groves, LT Punishes 666, Chris BLK Chris, Canopsia, and a very special thank you to Tegan S. They are all members of Those Who Dwell Below, an exclusive channel membership that gets you shoutouts at the start of every video. If you'd like to join them, make sure to check out the link in the description box. Also, I'm still looking for subscriber stories of terrifying tales from the paranormal, so if you have any, make sure to email them to me. My email's also in the description box as well. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. The Dripping Wet Shadow by Ryan Rowe, 82 This takes place at a house which was my mum's boyfriend's at the time, in Phoenix. I was lying on the couch in the living room talking to my girlfriend on the phone. The living room was connected to the kitchen by a small 5 by 10 area, which I'm guessing was supposed to serve as a dining room, but the space was left empty for as long as I've lived there, except for the two bar stools at the counter. While on the couch and the kitchen behind me, I was staring at the wall in front of me while I talked. Out of nowhere, a shadow of a person went from right to left, and startled me enough to make me turn around as fast as I saw it. Nothing or no one was there. The back and front doors were locked, and the only person in the house besides me was my older sister Kelly, but she was in the master bedroom, talking on the other line in the house to her boyfriend, who was currently in Nevada for work. I knew it wasn't her, because when I realised no one was there talking to me, I went straight to the room to ask her if she had just come out, but she was still lying in bed talking on the phone. I asked if she just went out there, but she said that she hadn't. I shook my head and let it go, and thought to myself I was just seeing things. I went back out into the living room and sat down on the couch for a little while until I got off the phone. When I hung up, I shut off all the lights in the front of the house and went to the bedroom to hang out with my sister. It wasn't long until my sister started asking questions. She said it sounded like someone was picking up the phone somewhere in the house, then hanging it up. It didn't take long for us to get creeped out. She told her boyfriend she'd call him back in a little bit because she wanted to see what was up with the line. Right after she hung up, she picked the phone back up to hear a dial tone, but every time she hit a number, another number would be pressed that she didn't dial. That went on for a while. We couldn't dial out, and neither of us had a cell phone. The only thing that we could do was sit in the room with the door locked, trying to figure out how we're going to get out of the house or get a hold of someone. We didn't want to go out the window, we felt somewhat secure in the room behind a door that's locked. After so long, you can only switch to plan B. Plan B was for me to slowly exit the room, quietly make my way down the hallway and peek around the corner where the only other phone for that line was. The best weapon we could find was a metal pipe that connects an old school vacuum cleaner. She slowly unlocked the door and I crept out of the room. Walking down the hallway, I would stop periodically to listen for noises I didn't hear anything, so I proceeded further to the end of the hallway. I didn't see anyone by the front door or the family room, but then a noise of hundreds of drips of water hitting the carpet was in the direction towards the phone. I turned my head 
and saw the shadowy figure in the dark, standing there right next to the phone, and it looked as if it was reaching out towards me. I ran incredibly fast back to the room and slammed the door shut and locked it in panic. We didn't know what to do, other than pick up the phone and try to call the police if we could get through. It took a few tries because of the extra numbers that kept dialing, but within a minute or so, we were finally through. The police showed up and we met them at the front door. Yes, we booked it pretty damn quick to get to it. The police came in, we turned on the lights, and found the back Arcadia door was open about five inches. It was shut and locked when I left that room. They stayed with us until we packed up and got out of there to stay elsewhere for the night. My mum and her boyfriend were having a night out and staying at a hotel, so we were kind of house-sitting while they were gone. I've had other experiences in the house too, on one of which the cops were called three times. The third time, they bought the helicopter. Never found anyone, though. We were going to call a fourth time, but we grabbed our shoes and baseball bats instead and ran down the street. After about 50 yards, I turned around and saw a man standing at the front lawn looking at us, I just kept running. Slaughterhouse Canyon The gold rush during the 1800s brought as much sickness, tragedy and death to fortune seekers as it did riches. Many gold seekers fell victim to disease, accidental death and extreme disappointments in return for their sacrifice. This story turns from disappointment to darkness and has managed to put Luan's Canyon more commonly known as Slaughterhouse Canyon, on the map of paranormal travels. Luanus Canyon is situated just southeast of Kingman. It was during the 1800s that a family lived in the canyon in a small wooden shack. The husband was a dreamer and wanted nothing more than to provide a better life for his wife Luana and their children. He would venture off into the mountains in search of gold and food for his family. The only food that the small family had to eat was what the man would bring home from his gold hunting expeditions. The man would leave and not return home for two weeks at a time. He always returned and his family always ate, but all good things come to an end. One day, the husband kissed his family goodbye and rode off on the back of a mule to once again provide for his family. Unfortunately, it would be the last time that his family ever saw him. Apparently, the man had become another victim of gold rush tragedy. His wife waited for her husband for many days after his expected return, and soon realised that something was terribly wrong. The food started to dwindle until there was none left. The mother and her children soon began to starve. Without food and without her husband, Luana began to slip into madness. Her children became pale and weak, they were constantly begging for food, but the mother had none to give. Each day that passed pushed the mother closer toward the brink of insanity, until she eventually snapped. Unable to cope with the reality of watching her children starve to death, she murdered them and dismembered their bodies. It is said that she took the time to put on her white wedding gown before the horrific act. When the mother had finished this horrible deed, her white wedding gown and the walls of the tiny wooden shack were painted with the blood of her children. The woman then carried what was left of her children down to the edge of the river and tossed them in. She collapsed in a blood-soaked heap and began to wail loudly for her children. She was overcome with sadness and guilt. She remained on the riverbank 
and continued to scream and wail until the next morning, when she would succumb to starvation herself. She died crying for the children that she had murdered, but were doomed to die anyway. Many claim that the wails can still be heard within the canyon. On a quiet night, it is said that anyone brave enough to venture into the canyon can hear the wails and sobs of the heartbroken and psychotic mother. Spirit Portal House by Alison Beckert, 23 I once had the opportunity to go with a good friend of mine on a tour of historic homes and landmarks in my hometown. I'd been hoping to go for years, though this tour was second to the Haunted Homes tour done in October. Still, this was quite a treat, as many people were willing to open their homes to curious and interested people, and there were a few exceptionally old locations belonging to the town museum that would only be open for tours this one day a year. I am an empath, and this is something I've had a hard time accepting. I feel the presence of spirits, often with their moods, emotions, and occasionally a message. More rarely, I receive an impression of gender, their lifetime, and the age they project. These encounters affect me physically, and because of that, I am often hesitant to join these tours as interesting as they are. There were several homes on the tour, but only a handful had any activity. This is one of the most active locations, the Portal Home. Most of the homes on the tour had been gutted and rebuilt on the inside. This particular home was just a few hundred yards from one of the main streets on a little residential road out of sight. As with most, it was small with additions that had been added over the years to accommodate a more affluent lifestyle. While this house wasn't a stark modern shell, it was still very different. I felt a real sense of concern as my friend and I came up to the house with others on the tour. The front door felt almost hot, the way a campfire gives off an uncontrollable heat as you get closer to it. At the same time, I felt an unpleasant but strong pull that gripped me right at the centre of my chest and steadily pulled my attention and direction towards it. I don't know what I expected to experience when I crossed the threshold. Maybe I thought it would ease up, or that there would be a spirit there that would specifically manifest. I don't know, but whatever I expected, that wasn't it. Inside the house, it was like every door, every archway into a hall, every window, had the same pull as the front door. It almost made me nauseous enough to throw up. I didn't want to stay but my friend doesn't know I'm sensitive to spirits, so rather than risk her disbelief and possible mockery, I tried to suck it up. The only spirit I actually felt, and felt clearly, was a young boy who was sitting on the stairs immediately inside the front door to the right. He was seated about six steps up, holding one of the rails. The stairs had a real rope across them to let the tour members know that upstairs wasn't part of the public area, the little boy felt around 10 or 11, with kind of messy brown hair that was smooth and had a parting down his head. I didn't see-see him, but like all spirit I get images of, these things were more like impressions, or a kind of intuition. I feel it rather than see it. Strange, yeah, but that's how it works. These are more details than I usually get, so I think the amplitude of energy in the house increased the clarity for that split second. Once past the front area, things just got even more uncomfortable. 
I wanted to hone in on individual spirits, but the whirling pull of all the doors and windows was too much to get anything. Instead, it just felt like every door was trying to pull energy in, push it out, or send it spinning. I've never been in proximity to major spirit portals, because I guessed it would make me motion sick. This was a guess, since I react physically to spirit energy anyway, and in this case, I was right. I got out of breath in the backyard, but had to come back through the house to exit. I would have certainly thrown up if I had to stay in there the whole time, without the small break in the yard. I'm not sure what charged that house, if it was that way for years, or if this came about because of renovations or through people meddling with spirit energy, but this place was clearly a portal to the other side. The Mogollon Monster The Mogollon Monster is a type of Bigfoot originating from Mogollon Rim, Arizona. Reports of footprints, video and hair samples have been documented, but no conclusive evidence has been found to date. The Mogollon Monster is reported to be a bipedal humanoid over 7 feet tall, with inhuman strength and large eyes that some claim to be wild and red. Its body is said to be covered with long black or reddish-brown hair, with the exclusion of the chest, face, hands and feet. Reports claim it has a strong and pungent odour, described as that of a dead fish, a skunk with bad body odour, decaying peat moss, and the musk of a snapping turtle. It is said that the creature is omnivorous, nocturnal, and very violent. It is generally reported to walk with wide, inhuman strides, leaving behind footprints measuring 22 inches in length. It is said to produce whistle sounds, or scream, and explore campsites during the night. It is also believed to consume deer and other wildlife after decapitating them. Reported sightings range along the Mogollon Rim, from Prescott, Arizona, north to Williams, southeast to Alpine, south to Clifton, and northwest back to Prescott. The oldest known documented sighting of the Mogollon Monster was reported in a 1903 edition of the Arizona Republican, in which I.W. Stewart described a creature as having long white hair and a mottled beard that reached to his knees. It wore no clothing, and upon his talon-like fingers were claws at least two inches long. Upon further inspection, he noted a coat of grey hair nearly covered his body, with here and there a spot of dirty skin showing. He stated that after he discovered the creature drinking the blood of two cougars, it threatened him with a club, and screamed the wildest, most unearthly screech. A member of the White Mountain Apache Nation in Arizona, by the name of Colette Altaha, said that in 2006, We're not prone to easily talk to outsiders, but there have been more sightings than ever before. It cannot be ignored any longer. Marjorie Grimes, who lives in White River, the primary town on the reservation, when asked about her encounter with the creature, said that it was all black, said that it was all black and it was tall. The way it walked, it was taking big strides. I put on the brakes and raced back and looked between the two trees where it was, and it was gone. According to local reports, Tribal Police Lieutenant Ray Burnett states that a couple of times they've seen this creature looking through the windows. They're scared when they call. The calls were getting from people. They weren't hallucinating. They weren't drunks. They weren't people that we know can make hoax calls. They're from real citizens 
of the Fort Apache Indian Reservation. Generally, the scientific community attributes creature sightings to either hoaxes or misidentification. As recently as the early 1930s, grizzly bears roamed the forests of Arizona. These may account for the early day sightings, while other large mammals such as black bears, mountain lions and elk may account for the sightings today. The Ghastly Gunslinger by Not a Believer It was spring in Sierra Vista, a small town in the mountainous southern desert of Arizona. Sierra Vista is a town with a lot of history, a mere 15-minute drive away from Tombstone. Sierra is steeped in the mystique and intrigue of the American Wild West. I was a 24-year-old sergeant in the US Army, serving on temporary duty at nearby Fort Huachuca, one of the military's preeminent installations for military intelligence training. I want to preface this story by saying that I'm about as big a skeptic as there can be. I grew up with a very, let's call it paranormally sensitive mother. She had more than a few tall tales about her brushes with ghosts and the like. My father was not afraid to voice his doubts as to the veracity of my mother's stories, and I guess some of that cynicism probably rubbed off of me. Anyone who's ever served in the military knows that environment lends itself to making fast friends with your fellow soldiers. Those friendships typically tend to be pretty fleeting in nature, but that doesn't make them any less memorable. So, after only a day or so of arriving at the fort, a group of us enrolled in the course had quickly formed that type of fast, easy camaraderie that you will only find with someone else who shared those same experiences as you. Throughout the challenging course, we pushed each other and helped each other along until graduation. When we finally got to the last week of the training, those of us who had made it through decided we could go out together to celebrate. The site of the celebratory dinner was Daisy Mays, a landmark establishment in the Sierra Vista community. Daisy Mays was a steakhouse with a checkered history. At various points in its lineage, it had purportedly served as both a brothel and a speakeasy. Numerous backroom dealings and shady undertakings had occurred there, according to legend. Chief among the rumours swirling around Daisy Mays were the stories about its most ghostly patron. The version of the story I was told, by the proprietor of Daisy Mays at the time, was that the ghost had been a particularly vile Mexican desperado, a cowboy, or charro, who was known to ride into the area, raiding and terrorising the populace. The story goes that one day this particular charro rode into the area that is today Sierra Vista, intent on getting drunk at the brothel where Daisy Mays now stands, as well as taking advantage of the establishment's more carnal amenities. After an afternoon of heavy drinking, the story goes that the cowboy had shot his mouth off to a young sheriff who was eager to make a name for himself. The two squared off in a duel in the dusty avenue in front of the brothel, and the cowboy was shot dead. Our group was captivated by this tale of high Wild West drama, but the story took a spooky turn when our waitress told us about how, for decades, staff and patrons alike had related stories about hearing spurred heels clicking away down empty hallways, the smell of cigar smoke heavy in the air at closing in a non-smoking restaurant, or a general air of malevolence, that hair-raising, gut-wrenching feeling of strangeness that comes from thinking you are not alone, when, at least ostensibly, 
you are. After the story, we all exchanged nervous glances and uneasy smiles. A few brave members of the group even went so far as to share their own personal experiences with things they couldn't explain. They were generally given a good-natured browbeating by the rest of the group for being so gullible. By the end of the meal, a few of us decided to go check out the area of the restaurant that the cowboy spirit was purportedly most often cited. In a dusty, neglected back hallway of the restaurant that seemed to serve little purpose, a solitary naked light bulb hung from the ceiling. Some unfelt draft seemed to be subtly moving it, causing the bulb to slowly sweep its dirty yellow light against the ancient stucco walls of the hallway. Various pieces of historical memorabilia were nailed along the hallway, a grainy sepia-toned photo of a 19th century couple here, an antique pair of ivory-handled six-shooters there. A dust-caked old AM radio sat on a small hutch, tuned to nothing but static. I'm not sure what we expected walking down that hallway. Some part of you hopes you experience something, but at the same time, there's that sense of dread, the sincere hope that it's just an empty hallway. The small group of us that had ventured back soon thinned until it was just me and Daniel, the staff sergeant who had become a good friend as we went through the training. Maybe it was the fact I'd had a few beers. Maybe I thought I could prove how tough I was. I can't say for sure. Whatever the reason, I smirked at Daniel and began to provoke the spirit that I didn't believe it was actually there. Nothing happened. The grimy light continued to cast shadows down the arched hallway. The decades-old radio kept up its monotonous buzzing. I felt I'd proven a point to my new friend. This is where the story gets weird. The hotel we were all staying in was only about two blocks from Daisy Mays. I had a room on the first floor to myself. The single window provided a view of a dark alley between two dilapidated brick buildings. The alley was exactly centred on my room's window, creating the effect of a long, almost utterly dark corridor marching off into nothingness. A single, amber-coloured sodium streetlight created a lonely island of light in the alleyway's river of darkness. A set of teal and orange floor-length drapes, as gaudy as they were dusty, hung in front of the large window. As I readied myself for bed, I looked uneasily down the dark alley. I soon noticed that my forearms were covered in goosebumps and that I was very uncomfortable. I couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching me. As I brushed my teeth, washed my face and hands, and set out my uniform for the next day, that feeling of unease was constant. I often found myself overcome with the irresistible urge to check behind me, but there was never any indication that I wasn't alone. Before I climbed into bed, I peered warily down the alleyway. I knew it would be impossible for me to sleep with the drapes open, so I closed them, got under the covers, and after a while, settled into a restless sleep. Some time later, I was startled awake, by what I couldn't say. I found myself in that hazy, semi-conscious state of the recently awoken, not sure of where I was or why. Bleary-eyed, I looked at the alarm clock on the nightstand to my right, and saw that only two hours had passed since I first put head to pillow. As I slowly gained coherency, a growing sense of dread swelled in my chest. Almost against my will, I turned and looked to the left, 
surprised by a shaft of pale moonlight splashed across the dark-coloured carpet of my room. As my mind churned wildly, trying to figure out how the drapes had gotten open, the pit of despair in my chest settled dramatically into my gut. Down the alleyway, under the single buzzing sodium light, a shrouded, smoky figure leaned purposefully against one of the buildings. At that instant, I knew two things with absolute certainty. First, whatever figure was down that alleyway was definitely the cause of my unease, and second, it was unquestionably malevolent. Unable to turn my eyes away, I stared in abject terror as the amorphous figure turned towards me. It seemed to perceive my fear, and waves of panic took over me. I felt my breathing coming in ragged gasps, felt my heartbeat racing along at a breakneck pace. Suddenly, I felt myself empathising with a rabbit caught in the snare, or the insect trapped under the glass. Though I couldn't see its face, I couldn't even say it had a face for certain, I felt as though it was leering at me down the alley, focusing all its malevolent energy on me. Just when I thought I couldn't take another second, the sodium light began to flicker. The insignificant pool of light sputtered, and then was gone. After several tense seconds, the light crackled back to life, but the shadowy figure that had previously stood beneath it was nowhere to be found. For a brief instant, I felt safe. That's when a crushing, suffocating weight settled on me. It felt like I was struggling against the strongest person you could imagine. My head, shoulders and arms were pinned down to the bed. It's difficult to explain, but it felt like whatever unseen force was atop me had a face that was mere inches from my own. I could feel its breath on my cheeks, but where a face should have been, there was only inky blackness. Though I couldn't seem to move, I didn't feel as though anything was physically touching me. I felt seething anger and hatred emanating from above me as I struggled to breathe. I cannot describe to you the level of terror and panic I felt. The next thing I knew, I was waking up to my alarm. It took me a little while to come to grips with what I had experienced. To this day, I'm still not sure. Hi guys, thank you so much for listening to today's video. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave a like and also subscribe to the channel, hitting that notification bell so that you never miss a video. Also tonight, there's going to be a brand new Halloween Creepypasta going up on the official Creepypasta.com YouTube channel, so make sure to join me over there and enjoy that as well. So, until next time, sleep tight.